Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. We are excited about uh, September Life groups are going to be kicking off. If you've never been a part of a life group, I would encourage you to jump in, join in, be a part of a life group. If you have been, join again. Those of you that are leaders, though, I see all the fans going. I'm with you right there, so I don't know. I think it's, we're, we're trying to, uh, some of you said we wanted to lose a few pounds, and so we uh, took it seriously, so uh, I'm needing to lose a few vacation pounds. Some of you uh, are... are questioning whether you've got the goods to lead a life group. Everybody, every single Sunday I get up here, before I get up here, I'm thinking, God, are you sure you got the right guy? It just comes with the territory of leading is to feel inadequate and to think, God, surely there's somebody stronger and better than me. I want to encourage you to take that step. There's nothing but imperfect, broken people, and I promise you we can line up every life group leader and pick out flaws from uh, morning to night. God doesn't use, there isn't anybody to choose from but broken uh, people, plain old people. So I just want to encourage you, jump out there, let God use you, and I promise you, you'll grow as you're doing it. Hallelujah. Well, gang, uh, I want to just say, if you're new with us, uh, myself and my precious wife, we take off uh, ordinarily for probably the last five or six years, we take off the month of July from leading anything here at the church, both for two weeks as playtime. We go and play on the beach and do some things and watch movies and just have a good time and refresh. But uh, all along that time, God is also speaking to us. And uh, the last two weeks are times of study and, and really working on the next six to eight months of the church's life. But I could not do that if we didn't have the awesome staff and the awesome people that, that we have here. We are so blessed. I want, to, I want to thank Pastor Reggie for bringing a great word as he kicked off that series. He did a great job. Pastor Orlando Juarez followed him. And Pastor Orlando did a great job, my, one of my dearest friends. And then Dallas came up. Pastor Dallas came up and preached two Sundays in a row. And those words were good. Y'all got fed better when I'm gone. So y'all need to just, y'all need to come in July. And uh, then last week, my goodness, Christine Berry, she put that dude in the end zone. So uh, can, we, can we bless and honor these people for, for what they did for us? And our staff just, just uh, across the board, uh, for many years, we couldn't get away for very long. But we've just got, we've got a staff, that, they're all smarter and better and more anointed than, than I am. And it just makes it easy to go. And it's good on y'all, too, to get away from me for a little bit. So... Uh, Gang, in, in my time away, I'm always asking the question of the Lord, and it's a time for me to pray and just have a conversation that sounds something like this, Father, what is on your mind without my mind racing for the next sermon? And uh, from the very first day, I want to prepare you because we're going into a series this week and it's going to be a little bit different. From the very first day when I sat down and I asked that question, I had my Bible in my lap, my coffee in my hand, and my time of rest was all out in front of me, I just said, Lord... What's on your mind? And uh, just as quickly as the words came out of my mouth, this clear impression, Ezekiel 12. Ezekiel. Ezekiel, he's not a friendly fella. And uh, so I thought, Ezekiel 12. And uh, I opened to it. I want to read you the first line. I want to read you Ezekiel 12, chapter 1. You guys head over to Revelation, if you would. Revelation 17 and 18 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. But Ezekiel 12, chapter 1 Uh, says this, again, a message came to me saying from the Lord, son of man, you live among rebels who have eyes but refuse to see, 
They have ears but refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious people. That was the opening of my time with the Lord. Son of man, you're among rebels. And they're rebels because they have eyes, but they don't see ears, but they don't hear. Let me explain this, and then I'm going to set the tone for this. Today, we're just going to set this series up. Next week, we'll get into to higher detail, but I think we need to prepare ourselves for something here. Ezekiel is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's a prophet to Israel after Israel has been taken siege by Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. They were taken by Babylon by the will of God as a correction for the years of rebellion of, of Israel's rebellion toward God. Isaiah prophesied out in front of him, this is going to happen if you guys don't change. This is going to happen. Well, it did happen, and Ezekiel is a prophet. Everybody say prophet. Uh, to, to Israel. And here's the thing, while they were in Babylon, while Israel was in Babylon for 70 years, two prophets primarily, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, these were not popular guys. They would prophesy uh, by God. And what I mean by prophecy is this. When, when God wants to bring correction, urgency, um, wants to present that if you don't change, there's going to be consequence he clears his throat and he speaks through the prophet. And uh, here's the thing. When you're living in Babylon, nobody wants to hear from that guy. He wasn't very popular. Here's what I'm presenting to you. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in Babylon and no one wants to hear the sound of Jesus, the prophet. Let me explain. We're gonna dig all over Ezekiel and some Jeremiah and Daniel and Revelation but gang, as, as th this series is called Leaving Babylon, a prophetic word for today. Now, some of you uh, have been raised in church, and when I say prophetic, something goes through your mind. L let me help you understand. Jesus, uh, in uh, Ephesians 4, I want to just reference a lot of scripture because it'll just burn all of our time if we try to chase it all. Right? Take a lot of notes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 uh, Jesus is establishing his church, and here's, here's what he says. And he, Jesus, gave some a governing office of apostle, uh, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. These are called the fivefold governing ministry uh, gifts of the Spirit. I mean, uh, gifts of the church, Jesus' gifts. I would explain it this way. This is Jesus speaking to us, his church, and he is saying when he wants to speak with, uh, man, I love you, come up here, let's be tender, I want to guide you, he speaks through, if you will, Jesus the pastor sound. I got a string here, it's going to bug me. Jesus the pastor sound. When Jesus, our loving Savior, wants to speak to a lost person, he speaks through Jesus the evangelist. I want to save you, I've given my life for you. When he's wanting to, if you will, save us from ignorance and what we don't know, Jesus the teacher speaks. Uh, when he's wanting to call out the ministry gifts in us. We hear this one a lot. Uh, we don't use the word apostolic often, but what, what an apostle does, he's a spiritual father who calls out, look, this is how you're wired. This is what God wants to do with your life. He pronounces identity and calls ministry out of an individual. We spend a lot of time on Jesus the apostle, Jesus the pastor, Jesus the teacher, Jesus the evangelist. The church of Jesus Christ today is very familiar and loves the sound of our shepherd when he makes these four sounds. Are you tracking with me? 
These are different now than the spiritual gifts, and I'm gonna talk in deep biblical terms at times. For folks that aren't biblical literate, you're gonna go, what are you talking about? Please just stay with me, and it'll start to make some sense, okay? But in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, there is a spiritual gift that is available to everybody of prophecy, and it's for encouragement, and anybody can do that, okay? Anybody can be used of the Spirit to do that. It's available to everybody. Ephesians 4 is not the spiritual gift of prophecy. It's the, uh, this is the governing office of prophets. There's just a handful of them, if you will. I say a handful of them. If you remember David Wilkerson, if those of you who know who a David Wilkerson is, David Wilkerson I would consider a prophet. Uh, anyway, I won't go through a bunch of guys because some of you will go, well, what about my favorite guy? And just Anyway, calm down. But that's not something everybody can do. It's something that God, when he wants to sound to his church, I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to repent. I want to predict some consequences if you don't turn. It's a stern, uh, more direct sound. And here's what I want you to to, to know. This series, when I sat down to, to speak with God, I was expecting a, hey, we're gonna go on vacation together, Lord, and isn't this gonna be fun? I remember preaching a whole sermon series on Walt Disney coming out, out of vacation, so I'm kinda going into vacation thinking, hey, man, let's hang together, bro, and uh, I sat down to talk to God, and I'm telling you from, from day one until the last, God has a message to his church, and it isn't the sound of the pastor, the teacher, the, the apostle, or the evangelist, though all, one's not better than the other, When you live in Babylon, nobody wants to hear the sound of the prophet, and you can't really build a church on a prophet, because it's too tough on people. And so I'm not sure when it happened, probably 15, 20, 25 years, I don't know when it happened, but at some point, we lost our appetite for Jesus, the prophet, and so we said, like, like the children of Israel in Babylon, We don't want to hear you. We're going to gather for ourselves prophets that'll tell us what we want to hear and that'll tell us we're all cool and we're all that and things are good and tell me about my purpose again and why am I here and and, uh, we want to gather people that are going to say those things. But the church has gone uncorrected for 15 or 20 years and God spoke very clearly to me again. I'm not speaking down to anybody, by the way. I am, I'm not speaking prophetically down. I am joining in hearing God call me and us to a, to a place and a posture of repentance and an ear to hear what he's saying to his church. But I want, I want you to hear this. Jesus comes as a prophet and speaks prophetically to us. He's the same lover, the same gracious God. He's the same savior, even when he's calling us to correction give you an example. Uh, I am a father. I have had small children, and uh, they're bigger, and then they're bigger, and then they go off and get married, and then they never come home. So I've, I've been a dad. I am a dad. My, my wife and I, we've raised some wonderful kids, and uh, there's different ways we as parents express our, our, our love to our kids. Different, but there's still love. Sometimes it was, you know, hey, let's go get ice cream. Let's go to Dairy Queen. We did that far too often when we were younger. 
Sometimes it's jump on the back of my bike and we'd ride around to a park. And sometimes it's throwing a million baseballs. I probably threw a million baseballs literally uh, to my sons and football and basketball and doing all this stuff and Christmasing and all, all different ways that I would express my love to my sons and they would hear it and they would respect it. Everybody likes that, that particular sound. However, as a parent, there are times when you're out there playing in the front yard and somebody kicks a football and it's heading for the road and dad, same loving dad that gives ice cream at Dairy Queen, same dad says, hey, as your son races toward that street, hey, you stop in your tracks, boy, I'll spank you till I'm tired, rest and spank you again. You turn your skinny hips around and get in that house. Now, I know some of you are going, oh my you have to understand, I'm, again, I'm, I'm older, and I came from, a, a, I came from a, a school, if you will, that when we got in trouble at school, our parents didn't call the ACLU. They actually, they actually would tell the principal, as soon as I get that boy home, I'm going I'm to whip him more than you whipped him. That's the world I grew up in back when we actually gave teachers enough authority to do their job. But I won't, yeah, I knew I'd get to... We have somehow over the last, over my lifetime, I've watched it in my lifetime, we have lost our taste buds for somebody telling me, I'm the boss of you and you're going to stop right there. Here's what I want you to know. We get that from Jesus. Jesus is the boss of us. Everybody say, you the boss of me. In us, that's difficult to hear. Here's what I want you to know. The same voice that says, hey, guys, let's go get some ice cream. Hey, guys, let's go play baseball. Hey, let's go to the swim ball. Same love, the same saving uh, desire within me is the same thing that, that when they start to head for the road, you say, hey, stop in your tracks, boy. I'm going to spank you just to remind you. And again, almost that discipline, how many of you understand that is actually a savior sound? It's the sound of the Savior. And I want you to know, when we talk about a prophetic series, you're going to hear the, the prophetic sound that calls us to account. I'm going to ask you all to open your hearts to hear God speak with a different tone. But here's what you need to know that provides our safety. Jesus is coming to save us. He's a savior. Everything he does is to save things. It, he can't help himself. He saves things. And sometimes to save, he has to say, hey, this has gone long enough. It's gone far enough. I'm calling you to a correction. That's the sound of a prophet. Now, I want to show you that in Scripture. I'm just, again, just kind of explain it, and we'll, we'll get to it. In Revelation chapter 1, and again, I just want to introduce you to prophet, prof prophetic. What does that mean? Revelation chapter 1, uh, it starts with, y'all are in 17, I know. Revelation chapter 1, the book opens, and it says, a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what Revelations is, a revelation of Jesus Christ. We find, as we open the book of Revelation, we find old John, probably 90 years old. All of the other disciples have been martyred. All of his friends are gone. He's on the Isle of Patmos somewhere off uh, the Aegean Sea there. The winds are blowing there, and he is he's just waiting to die. 90 years old, friends are gone, had a good ride. And the Bible says that Jesus shows up on the island, freeze frame. The last time John saw Jesus, Jesus was 5'11", weighed 175 pounds-ish. Pastor, how do you know this? I just, I'm a pastor, I know these things. I don't know, he was a man, my point. <laughs> and uh, he was Jesus the Savior. Jesus, I've saved you, I've laid my life down. He was kind tone. He was, guys, get out there and hit somebody. I, I, that's a football thing, I'm sorry. Get, go out there and make disciples in biblical terms. He, he was 
you know, eyeball to eyeball. That's the last time John saw Jesus. This book is called A Revelation of Jesus, but all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he's in his glorious form. And John said, I heard a voice behind me that scared the bejeebus out of me. I felt like I was a dead man. His voice was like the sound of big waves hitting, hitting uh, the beach. He had a, a tongue that was like a two-edged sword that cut every word he said was cutting and direct. And his hair was blazing white. His eyes were afire. His feet were burnished bronze like that of, of a warrior who just comes and treads down his enemies. A lot of stuff in, in uh, Revelation about that. We'll get to it later. But uh, I, this, it was this warrior and this authority and just the mere presence of Jesus who was 5'11". Now he's this revelation of Jesus. He is all authority and all powerful and I realized who am I before him and I fell as if dead. And this authority over his church, the one that gives the prophet and the pastor and the teacher, and the apostle, and the evangelist, that Jesus reached his hand down to John and said, hey, John, get up. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to write everything you're about to see because I want to reveal to my church in the years to come, the days that we're living in right now in 2020, I want them to know who I am because they're going to need it. And I want to let you know how all of the earth and all of the current value systems are going to collide with mine and my kingdom is gonna forcibly restore this earth and the people who call me their king, I'm going to forcibly reset this earth. And it's gonna be a rough time before it gets better. And so, here's what Jesus, Jesus, our Jesus, Savior, gracious, forgiving, same Jesus, here's what he does. In chapters two and three of Revelation, he says this, John, line my church up. I'm gonna examine everybody. We're gonna have an inspection Jesus. Jesus goes through every one of these churches, Smyrna or Ephesus was first and Smyrna and all the Pergamon, all these different churches. And here's what he did. He went through them and he said, you know what? I see what you're doing well. I applaud you. You're doing great. We in the West, we love to hear that from God. In fact, that's really all we want to hear. You're doing great. You're awesome. I just can't stand it. You're so cute. I just love you. We want to hear our Jesus, and many of us think of Jesus just like he just, he just, he just can't stand him, so he loves me so much. Golly. Jesus said, you stand him up, and he went from church to church, went to Wood's Edge, went down to Faith, came here to the crossing. He stood his church up, and he said, I like that you're doing some of these things, but I have this against you. And Jesus, the prophet, the one that was saving a church, he was saving it, he said, look, to Ephesus, he said, you've fallen from your first love. You loved me stronger and better at first, and you loved others. You've not just fallen a little bit. You've made a satanic fall. You get that corrected, or there'll be consequences. I'm going to remove your church. Consequences? Wait a minute. This is New Testament, New Covenant. We're not under that, Pastor Randy. This is 60 years into the New Covenant. The blood of Jesus has been shed, and a new Jesus has showed up on the scene, and John is thinking, you've changed because he's coming, loving, caring. He's a savior, and saviors don't just save meek and mild. Saviors do whatever is necessary to save, and he's just that kind of savior. Over the last number of years, we have lost our taste for the savior. Jesus has, called, has come here. Am I a prophet? I, 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 I'm not a prophet, but I am currently 
if you will. I will say this. The spirit of the living God is upon me for this month. It's Jesus who's the prophet. But he has a correction, and, I, and I'm being corrected as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the vocal cords. But please don't. I'll get intense. Don't ever think anybody's hollering down at you. I am leading a repentance for our church. I'm not just calling you to it. You're tracking with me. Very real thing. So with that understanding, everybody understanding? I mean, if you don't, just kind of hang with me. This is not a voice we're used to hearing. We, we, in Babylon, nobody likes the prophet. Neither do we. It's been a good 20 plus years before we've really had a, a church that welcomes the sound of the prophet. I'm not sure that we'll, we'll do any better, but I know that the Savior has come to save us by authority and power and consequence. All right? So I, 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 I ask you, pl please hang with me and uh, open yourself to what God wants to do. The very fact that this, this whole thing started out of Ezekiel, he says this. He said, uh, you're among a rebellious people. And I know everyone here, we're not rebellious. Here's, here's what rebellious means. It just means this. I really don't respect your authority. You're not the boss of me. That's what rebellious means. Now, we, in Western Christianity, we dress it up with, you know, in the name of Jesus and got our scriptural, we're pretty nimble on our feet to explain things away. But I want you to know, God, I felt like God spoke directly to me and said, Randy, I'm insulted by the lack of respect for my authority, and I want it to stop. I read all the way through Ezekiel, and, and the thing that, that uh, caught me about Ezekiel 12, 13, 14, he said, the people of Israel are going to say, these prophecies are harsh, and they're for a, for a long time off. Tell my people, they're not a long time off. They're immediate. They're immense. They're on us now, and in your lifetime, you're going to see these consequences. I don't know that I can coax you into the urgency that I sense from God, but I am trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to awaken things that have long since been dead and a respect and a sense of urgency that you, you couldn't manufacture if you wanted to. Something broke inside of us at some point. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to revive us and to save us. Amen? So, this, this is a prophetic word. I've explained prophetic to some degree. We'll keep, keep at that. But it's a prophetic word. And the, message, the, the, the series is called Leaving Babylon, leaving Babylon. What is Babylon? Okay, Revelation 17. Hope you're there. Are you? Yes, no? Watch it over my shoulder. Revelation 17, verse 1. Jesus has, uh, is opening what's going to happen in 2020 and in the days to come in the churches of the future. Verse 17, 1 says, One of the seven angels, John speaking, who had poured out the seven bowls of judgment on this planet, came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute. Some of your scripture says the great whore who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. Now, please hear me. This doesn't just mean presidents and kings. It means the power brokers of earth, those who influence and those who influence culture they have committed adultery with whoever this is that, that's about to be revealed. And on the planet right now, you're going to see the power brokers of, of the United States and this earth 
have committed adultery with who we're about to talk, talk about right now. They've committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. Everybody say drunk. We're going to come back to that. They've been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God. Blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her was written on her forehead, and here's what I want you to see, Babylon the Great, the mother of all prostitutes and obscenities. Some of your scripture says profanities. The word uh, actually uh, in, in the Greek is pornea. Uh, obscenities in the world. Babylon the Great, the mother of all prostitutes. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. What was John looking at? And for him, where is Babylon? Where is Babylon? All right, still with me? Babylon. We first find Babylon in Genesis chapter 11. Don't turn, write it down. Genesis chapter 11, a group of people come together, and this is the mantra, the sound that starts Babylon. They said this, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build a city that represents our grandness and our gloriousness, and let us all come together in unity about this, and no one will be able to take us down. Let us build a tower so that we can be equal with God. Do these things, these things sound like anybody else you might have read about in Scripture? Let us build a tower to God. The, the key thing, let us make a name for ourselves. And God said of them in Genesis 11, if they, if they continue to grow in their unity and they put their minds to it, anything they put their minds to as human beings, they're going to be able to do it. So I am going to separate them. And this is the great Tower of Babel. Well, God confused them. They all started speaking different languages. He spread them out throughout the earth to stop at that point the unifying of humankind, not to build a tower, but to come together around this one spirit, let us make a name for ourselves. That was the Tower of Babel. That became a region that you'll see in Scripture called Babylonia. Babylonia became an empire, ultimately, an empire that oversaw a great vast portion of the world, empire not marked by um, territorial dirt, but by the amount of human beings that it, that it brought under either its seduction or its complete rule. God used Babylon, the actual locality, to uh, discipline Israel. Israel was first seduced by Babylon in that they worshiped many, many gods. Having one exclusive God, that's just so, oh, that's just so 1960s. Uh, we want a bunch of gods, and we want to be able to choose for ourselves. Israel constantly fought with the seduction of Babylon, they, uh, uh, but ultimately God said, you know, if that's what you want then this is going to be your punishment. Babylon's going to come, and they're going to capture you, and you're going to spend 70 years in Babylon. And, and it happened, and this is where we find Ezekiel. Tracking with me so far? What I want you to understand, though, is in Isaiah 13. Write it down. Isaiah prophesied of Babylon. When God comes to, to uh, square up with you, 
There's not going to be anything left of you. You will never exist again, nor will you ever be inhabited again. And when King Cyrus of the Persia came in 70 years later, in one day, Israel was set free, and Babylon, the locality, was put down. Question. Since Babylon as a location has been put away, why do we continue to see Babylon, the word, throughout the New Testament? And it is for this reason. It is prophetic. In the Old Testament... Babylon was a locality. Everybody say locality. Today, for, for the prophetic reasons and in the Bible, in the New Testament, it is a mentality. Everybody say mentality. It was a locality. It is now a... It is the mentality. It is, it is the unifying of antichrist values that humankinds are coming together once again under the thought we will make a name for ourselves. They are rebellious hearts that say we will not be governed by any, nobody's gonna be the boss of me. We will not honor authority and we will make a name for ourselves. And we find here in the scripture that God is saying in the last days, me and Babylon are gonna go nose to nose but before I bring Babylon, that mentality, that unifying human thing against me, before I bring it down, the church is going to have to fight with Babylon. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in 2020, Babylon is alive and well, and it is consuming, not just some far off someplace, these United States in my lifetime, the values of this nation have committed fornication with this spirit, and they have succumbed to the influence of, of Babylon spoken here in Scripture, and we are no longer in charge of dictating the culture of this nation. This nation is being dictated by demonic influence, and the kings and the leaders and the power brokers of this earth, that would be the West Coast movie stars and the East Coast uh, media folks and all of them, they are committing fornication as much and as often as they can with the spirit, it is prophesied in the scripture. Why is America falling down morally? Pastor, isn't it because the church isn't doing its job and we could all beat the church up? Probably there's some to that, but honestly, it was predicted in scripture and what was predicted in scripture, you can't stop it if you want it to. Babylon is alive and well and strong and we are no longer in charge of these United States. We are exiles, Peter tells us. We are exiles and aliens and we are not welcomed in this culture. We are a counterculture to the spirit of Babylon. There's much about Babylon. It is about sensuality and man, I've seen in my lifetime it go from you know, being embarrassed uh, you know, to say a naughty word in the fourth and fifth and sixth grade to... Uh, it, now on every phone and every, every device in this room, you can get to pornea, pornography in a heartbeat. And honestly, if the, the bigger issue with that, it's awful that we can do that, but we've lost our ability to be aghast about it. Yeah. Like, what's, yeah, and, and pastor, that's the drunkenness that this is talking about. That's the drunkenness right there. The inability to respond. We can hear it, but it doesn't move us. Hear, but don't. No respect for the authority behind the call. That's why we've lost the voice of the prophet. We can't hear. I mean, he can talk all he wants to. I'm not going to. Here's what we do currently. I'll go ahead and just tell you that my, my, my great pain. It, it is that we in the West, I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about people that don't follow Christ. 
my primary concern right now. I'm a pastor. I'm called to the church. It is the drunkenness that is in the church. It is the Babylon morph Christianity that we've invented. We've dismissed the prophet because nobody's going to be the boss of me. I'm going to be the boss of me. God, you're not going to be the boss of me. You need to understand this. The only way you get into the kingdom, Jesus rarely talked about being saved. He did. But his primary language for being saved was this. You can't enter the kingdom unless this or that. You can't be a part of the kingdom unless this or that. You know what that means? That means you say to the king, you are the boss of me. You're the king, and I'll obey. We have a version of Christianity, a Babylonian hybrid that has come into the church. And the drunkenness that's spoken of this, we may not be drunk, but we have a lot of that spirit in us. We are not sober, I'll say that. We're a bit tipsy, and we may have some drunkenness. Throughout these lands, around this uh, good states of America, throughout our country, uh, hundreds of thousands of people are sitting in churches. And, this, and I'm not, I, 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 one of the things that the Lord spoke to me is, I'm going to awaken the spirit of the prophet in this nation. It's for the church. It's for the church to return. There is, by the hundreds of thousands, a lot right with the church. And I believe if Jesus were to come to America, and I believe he is, and begin to march our aisles, he'd say, man, you're doing that right, and that's good, and that's good, and that's good, and I commend you for it. However, you have disrespected my authority. You're a rebellious people. I'm not a rebellious people. Time out. That little thing that says, you're not the boss of me, that is the spirit of Babylon in the church. And that's why we don't, we don't have the voice of the prophet. That's why God is saying, I'm a, I'm a, you're gonna begin to hear the sound of something that sounds very foreign. And that's why I'm prepping you all because I, don't, I want you to come back next week and realize it's the Savior saving us. It just sounds more like, hey, we need to stop now. I'm gonna create urgency. I'm gonna create conviction. And we can't preach enough grace, forgiveness, mercy, love. That doesn't discount. It doesn't kick out. Obedience is not an option simply because he's gracious. And obedience has become like whatever. Babylon. Babylon. Uh, it is here. I want to show you the mantra. Everybody say mantra. The mantra of the spirit of Babylon. We see a lot of intoxicating and drunkenness, and it looks like lewd and sensualness, and all that is true, but it's deeper. It's deeper. Isaiah 47, <clears throat> Jesus is prophesying through Isaiah to Babylon, and I cut so much out, but uh, verse 8, he says this, and this is in the message. I like it. It says, well, start thinking, playgirl. You're acting like the center of the universe. Babylon says this, smugly saying to yourself, I'm number one. There's nobody but me. I'm number one. There's nobody but me. I'll never be a widow. I'll never lose my children. I'll never have to pay for anything I've done. Verse nine, those two things are going to hit, uh, hit you both at once. Suddenly, one in the same day, on the same day, spouse and children gone. A total loss, despite your many enchantments and charms. You were so confident, Babylon, confident and comfortable in your evil life. Pick the, pick the tone here up. 
saying, no one sees me. No one sees my sin. If they don't see it, well, it doesn't hurt them, doesn't hurt me. What's the big bother? No one sees I'm safe. <clears throat> you thought you knew so much, had everything figured out. What a delusion. Smugly telling yourself again, I'm number one. There's nobody but me. Gang, the spirit of Babylon that is in us. Now, we dress this up again and say in the name of Jesus and quote scripture. And we're very nimble on our feet when it comes to scripture and protect ourselves. But the spirit of Babylon is not just about being intoxicated with sensuality, sexual sin, with uh, just a clamor for more wealth and more control and all of those things. It isn't simply that. It's one deeper. The reason we go after that is because we believe it's all about us. We are intoxicated with me. We're intoxicated. It's, it's just about me, and there is no one else on my Facebook. All the pictures in my phone, I mean, 1,200 to 1,500 of them, they're all, they're all me. I spend days taking selfies so that I can perfect it, so that I can look at me. Yeah, I'd love to fall in love. I can't seem to fall in love because I can't find anybody I love more than me. And I want to come to church, and I want to be a part of it, but I want to let you know, I've come to God so that I can find me. I'm looking for myself. Yes, I'll be a life group leader. Yes, I want to do ministry. Yes, I want to join a cause. Man, I've never seen a time where there's more folks just want to say, yeah, I'm a part of that cause. I'm a part of that cause, and good things are happening. But right down at the very center of it, the thing driving it is this. I'm trying to find myself. I'm just trying. Honestly, I wish I could say I'm doing it for the people I, I'm you know, calls oriented for. I wish I was, I do care about them, but honestly, I just want to be seen as a part of the cause because after all, y'all picking up the subtlety of this? It's the spirit of Babylon and it is all, even the good things we do, we do the right thing for the wrong reason and we can cover ourselves. Pastor, I don't want to do anything. Yeah, I want to find me. I want to find me. You know what Jesus said? If you want to find yourself, lose yourself. Go do something for somebody that cannot applaud you. Don't put it on your Facebook. Actually do it so that God has an opportunity to change your heart and change the greediness and selfishness into actual selflessness. Do it for that reason and don't tell a soul. See how bad that hurts? But do it a few times and begin to recognize the Spirit of the Lord will begin to help you find you, not by hunting for you. That's the mantra of Babylon, the drunkenness that we have in the church, in the West, it's a drunkenness that we have in the church. It has to do with that right there. We serve God so that we can find ourselves. I, um, this oh, last couple of two or three weeks, this uh, morph Babylonian Christianity that we've come up with. I saw it played out in, in front of my eyes. My precious daughter-in-law and uh, my daughter-in-laws are both uh, ex absolutely perfect. And uh, they're awesome and they're great and don't talk about my daughter-in-law. Uh, one of my precious, godly, wonderful daughter-in-laws uh, a couple of two or three weeks ago said, hey, you know, her and her, a gaggle of her girls and friends are out, or were into the show The Bachelorette. 
bat, no, don't throw stones and just, I'm just came over to the house one night and uh, her, her and uh, Dallas and she was watching The Bachelorette. So I sat there and watched it. I'm gonna do anything for, for my daughter-in-law. And uh, you know, it's kind of cool. I didn't get into it. I know I'm gonna get on. No, pastor's not you know, watching feverishly The Bachelorette every week. But I'm just telling those of you that know what The Bachelorette is, it's a, a TV show and uh, it's a, one girl trying to find the love of her life among 30 or 40 bachelors. And uh, she goes out on multiple dates, sleeps with whoever she wants to, does whatever she wants to. And basically, if, if you get a rose, you get to come back and compete with the other fellas. And uh, if you don't get a rose, you're off the show. You tracking with me? Anyway, some, some, more of y'all are, y'all are all acting like, no. Okay. <laughs> you guys know more about Hannah Brown than I do. And so, uh, you know, I watched that one episode, kind of got familiar with Hannah Brown. She's the, the, the bachelorette and a, prof, a, a professing Christian, and I have no reason to doubt the sincerity of, of her faith, okay? You send me your emails on that one as well. I, I don't know. I mean, that's between her and God. And um, so, uh, but I watched the last, they came over again for the, for the, for the last two, which was um, an audience like this, and all the contestants were up here, and they're asking questions. And uh, by the way, Hannah, on the, the, the Tuesday night, she picked the wrong guy, by the way, just so you know, just an idiot. She should have taken Tyler, I'm just telling you. Not that I'm involved. Just... So anyway, H H Hannah Brown, uh, but something arises, and I started researching it, and it was this. Uh, the worst character on the show, the worst bachelor, also was the pro a professing Christian, when, when you know, you know, great. Uh, he was a knucklehead. But he has a conversation with Hannah. They're drinking wine and having a good time. And he says to her, in essence, and you can find this on YouTube. He says to her during one of the episodes, hey, um, uh, in essence, I've, I've, you know, we have a common faith. And my faith is that, uh, you know, tells me that, you know, I, I'm not to have sex outside of marriage. And so it would be very disappointing to me, you being a woman of faith and me being a man of faith now, that uh, if you were to tell me you had had sex with any of these guys, uh, you know, that, that would be, for me, just so disappointing. I would want you to send me home. And Hannah got livid. This, was, this is the big drama on the show. She got livid. How dare you judge me? I can't believe you. Oh, she kept doing this. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and uh, how dare you judge me? I can't believe you. All of this stuff back and forth. And here was the, the punchline that got said over and over and over. Uh, I have had sex, and Jesus still loves me. Hmm. That's the line. I have had sex, and Jesus still loves me. Now, here's the trickery with that. That's all true. That's all true. The issue, see, this is how nimble we are. This, this, is, the, this is the hybrid Babylonian Christianity. It's a hybrid. Because here's what it says. Because Jesus loves me, Obedience is not any longer required. Because of grace, I can do whatever I want to. I'll read you a quote from... Now, please hear me. I'm telling you, I am not throwing stones at Hannah Brown. If she wasn't all over the internet and all over the TV, I wouldn't bring her out like this. And, and whatever she's working out in her private life, I'd pray for her. God, he's precious. I'm talking about an attitude that's the Babylonian spirit and we are drunk on it. And the Savior has come to say, hey, we need to stop this. The clock is ticking, and I'm not talking way off. I'm calling you to account. The prophet 
Jesus has come to save us. Hannah's quotes, <clears throat> I, think I, I think I put them down. Actually, I didn't. Okay. But you, you get the gist of it. Here's what God is, is calling for. You're, we are rebels until we respect his authority. No matter how you dress it up and in Jesus' name and in all that, the intoxication of the church is this. We start running for the ball toward the street and Jesus says, stop, don't you make another move, the Savior in him. And we look and go, amen, hallelujah. Well, hallelujah, I wanna take notes. That, you said that so well, I'm taking notes on that. You ever stopped a kid and said, don't do that, don't reach for that cookie and they do this? We stop and go, I'm taking, that's, you just, hallelujah. What a great word. Hallelujah, I do it. And then we take off running again, and he says, hey, stop in your, I'm gonna spank you. We go, praise the Lord. Let's sing that. Can we sing it? Where's my highlighter? I wanna highlight that. Hallelujah. And we take off running again because the rebellion in us is thicker than we wanna admit. It's in me. It's in you. We wanna trick out using the Bible and give cover to the fact that we're drinking and, and we're intoxicated. You know what it means to be intoxicated? You begin to lose, you don't see clearly. You don't hear clearly. You're not really centered. You're not really sure what's going on around you. Just having a good time. Scripture says this, be sober and vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, sharper than you, smarter than you, you gotta be sober. I'm praying, and I'm asking God to lead us as a church in repentance, where we could say to God, you are the boss of me, and I've not honored your authority, and I've disrespected you by not realizing, with all your grace and your forgiveness, you are also king. And to enter the kingdom, you come up to the edge, and you say to the king, I'll obey you. That's what it means to come into the kingdom. That's what it means. There is no morph. There's no morph in Babylonian Christianity. In the book of Malachi, here's what God said. In the last days, I'm going to raise Elijah the prophet again and call him to my church. Jesus said the spirit of Elijah is on John the Baptist, and it did rest on John the Baptist. But God is awakening the spirit of Elijah again. Do you remember the main message of Elijah? It wasn't, come here, I just love you so much. He brought all of Israel together, and he said, God is calling you to make a decision. We're gonna call down fire. If you're gonna serve God, then serve him. If you're gonna serve Baal, serve Baal, but you're not gonna straddle it. Make Go one direction or the other, in or out. I'm calling for a decision. That is the spirit of Elijah. That's the sound of a prophet, and that is the sound rising in our church. It's the sound of a savior saying, hey, you're deeper in than you think you are. You're drunker than you think you are. Let's get sober. I've asked the Holy Spirit because I recognize of all people that need to repent in here, I need to. Baptism's coming next week. You know one of the ways that we say to, to Jesus, 
I pledge my allegiance to the king. It's by a simple obedience of, of being baptized. Some of you have, have been born again and never been baptized. Next Sunday in second service, please come, be baptized. Some of you in the room, the Holy Spirit's doing a work. And he's saying, I want you to declare your allegiance to your king. Again, the prophet, Jesus the prophet, I'm coming to save you. Not to save your eternal destiny, to save your life right now. I'm drawing lines in the sand. I want my people to be my people. It's going to get... It's going to get sketchy as we go forward in time. God's coming to the crossing church, and it's by his saving grace. One last thought. Book of Revelations, verse 18, 2 through 5, it says, And he, this angel, cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations, all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornications. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxuries. Verse 4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive her plagues. God is calling to this church. You come out of her, my people, lest you too receive her plagues. This is the word of the Lord. Can we bow our heads? I don't want you thinking of anybody else or who should have been here. Or, I want you to steady your own heart but before you and God. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're in this room. And Holy Spirit, we are numbed because of our intoxication. I am. I can hear things but have no urgency to respond in obedience. And if you don't save us, if you don't reawaken the areas that have become so numbed and intoxicated, we really can't change. Father, we come before you today. We repent. We repent of our selfishness and our rebellion, of our narcissism. We bow our knee and we say to you, you are our king, you're my king. And to the degree that I can understand it, if you'll help me understand, I will obey you. You're my king. You're the king of this church, and you're the king of every one of these lives. If you're here today and the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart, the things I want you to say to God are, God, you're my king, and I will obey you. Throughout this week as you pray, I want you to say, God, you're my king, and I will obey you. Sober me up. Sober me up. Sober me up. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart like he is mine, would you simply lift your hand to heaven to say, God, I'm in, sober me up. Praise God. Holy Spirit, do a great work in this church over this month and not just stopping at this month. We have ears to hear the prophet Jesus. Save us. Save us, Jesus. Save your church. Save your church. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. 
Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.